And we're back uh, after a little bit of a break uh, due to some scheduling issues with the team here. But uh, this is the Guidehouse Transportation Insights Podcast. I'm Sam Abu-Al-Samad from Guidehouse Insights, and I'm joined by Saji Evbanada and Joe Janata today. Uh, Scott is out traveling somewhere today. So, um, Joe, why don't we start with you? What, uh, what have you got going on? Yeah, so something I came across is a, a UK battery startup, Nibel. Um, they claim to have a battery that can charge up to 90% in under five minutes. Uh, the company was started in Cambridge by a couple of researchers and professors there. The chemistry makeup of their batteries is, not, ne- I hope I get this right, niobium and tungsten, um, which is what they plan on using. Uh, they claim it's much faster than the existing and more widely adopted battery chemistries. Um, they plan to use this for high-performance racing vehicles, but there's definitely wide, wider potential for it to be more widely adopted. Um, I think a big issue with this is the actual uh, amount of these chemicals that is out there. Most of both of these chemicals are, are pretty much exclusively extracted from China, so I think there'll be could be some issues down the road if um, they want to more widely adopt this battery chemistry. And I would be curious to see the actual performance of this battery. Ninety percent in under five minutes for racing vehicles sounds like a, a lofty goal. Um, but they claim to have done it. So I'm curious to see what you guys think about it. Did, did you say it's neodymium and tungsten? Uh, niobium. Niobium. Okay. I'm, I'm not familiar with that material. Um, yeah. I mean, I th- it sounds like, you know, what they're trying to do is essentially kind of replicate the performance um, or get close to what the performance of what you can do with capacitors. Um, and I'd be curious to see what kind of energy density they get out of this battery, because uh, there are other battery chemistries that you can charge really fast, uh, but oftentimes they, they don't have as much energy density to them. Um, and so I'd be curious how that compares with nickel or um, lithium iron phosphate batteries. And then the other challenge, of course, is, you know, yeah, you can have a battery that um, that can charge really fast, but then you have to have very high power chargers to actually take advantage of that. And so that, you know, has its own challenges, you know, in terms of the, the capacity going into the charger, um, you know, th- dealing with demand charges, you know, for a commercial application. So just being able to charge fast is not in and of itself uh, a solution, you know, the only, so- the only part of the solution. Did they, did they give any indications of the energy density? Yeah, so I'm looking at their website now, and all they have is higher energy density that allows for lighter and smaller batteries. Um, so that implies that they it's a pretty energy dense, but doesn't offer a ton of uh, statistics on it, really. What about uh, co- <laughs> excuse me, cost of the materials? Um. From what I read, they're pretty expensive right now. There's only one mining company out of China that you can get the uh, niobium from, I believe. Uh, so it's pretty expensive right now. Funny enough, though, the largest investor in uh, Nibold is actually the, that mining company out of China. So it's an interesting interesting side plot to this. Makes sense that they would want their their uh, chemical used in, uh, in batteries and widely adopted. Yeah, no, that that would make sense, you know, to uh, to want to create a market for the product that you have. Okay, 
Um, yeah, and, and uh, motorsports applications are, are an interesting application for this because um, a lot of classes of racing are moving towards uh, either uh, hybrid and, and eventually electric um, propulsion systems. And so, uh, you know, if, they, if the battery can absorb the energy faster, they can do more regen and also release, you know, you generally, you know, a battery that can charge fast can also release power very quickly uh, and uh, provide more acceleration capability. So in, uh, in endurance racing, for example, we've got a lot more. We've got uh, the new um, LMBH class that's joining uh, the, uh, the, the hypercar class in the World Endurance Championship. Uh, next year, and those are all hybrid uh, sports cars. Uh, and then there's also the uh, electric GT uh, that's that's coming along, and Formula E. And so I'm sure they would be interested in in utilizing uh, battery technology like this. Yeah, I think um, yeah, most sport is a very interesting application where that that, that very high speed of charging will be will be very uh, valuable. Um, um, I was, I'm just been browsing on their websites and. Um, they actually also claim that um, they, they provide um, um, life cycle cost advantages as well um, over other charging methods uh, and, and batteries. So that would be interesting to find. It'd be interesting to find out more about it. Uh, the website doesn't seem to provide much information on that, but uh, does make those claims. Yeah, everybody's looking for the holy grail of fast charging, high energy density, and long life. And usually, you can get you might be able to get two out of three. You know, it's like, I want something cheap, fast, and good. You can, you can have any two. <laughs> you can get all three, then that would be pretty amazing. Excellent. All right, Saji, what have you got? Hi, so um, I th- today I thought we'd talk, talk about um, so Lime. So Lime, one of, one of the major uh, micro-mobility sharing companies. Um, uh, they're a U.S.-based company, but... Um, uh, they're very prominent in, in the UK, in the UK and, uh, and and France. Um, so they've developed um, an AI-enabled computer vision platform that they call Lime Vision, um, and this is actually to address uh, some of the safety issues, which is, in my opinion, one of the, the, the major issues in, uh, for e-scooters or, or micromobility generally. Um, so this this platform is like the base for, for several new features that they're developing, uh, specific applications. Um, the, the first one is um, called uh, sidewalk detection. Um, so this is enabled with um, cameras that they've mounted, um, I believe, on, on the handlebars on the uh, on the scooters themselves. Um, and uh, I, I think they, they gather data from uh, the cameras um, and also utilize. Um, uh, I, I guess the data that they're collecting from the, the thousands of, of, of other bike, uh, e-scooters and bikes that are uh, that are riding the streets in various cities um, to, to help to improve the, the intelligence of the system. So the, the sidewalk detection, um, the, the, the purpose of this is to, um, um, to, to basically stop people riding on sidewalks, um, which is a major nuisance and, and safety concern in, in, in cities. Um, so the technology is able to distinguish between um, the actual road and the uh, and the sidewalk, um, and if it detects that um, the rider is on the sidewalk, um, it uh, within a second it, it uh, slows down the vehicle um, and also creates a sound to alert the rider that uh, they need to they need to just get off the sidewalk and either ride it along or ride on the on the road or on the bike lane. 
Um, the, the, the second um, application which they developed is drunk rider detection. So um, I think this is a, a major issue in, in several cities, um, especially at, at nights where, when people come back from the pub or from the bar and, and just decide to use e-scooters. Uh, as we, we've seen several cities already um, banning the use of shared um, e-scooters in, uh, after a certain time of night. Um, but what Lime have, have, have done is developed um, a, what they call a late night um, uh, alcohol uh, drunkness detection test um, to, to determine whether um, a rider is um, fully capable of safely riding the scooter. Um, so what happens is that when a rider uh, intends to, 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 to hire the bike or the, or the e-scooter, um, they need to... Uh, 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 do a test, um, a reaction test. Um, so this, the screen, which is built into the e-scooter, is, it has some kind of a test, and the, um, the potential rider has to be able to complete the test with adequate uh, reaction times. Um, so if they pass the test, then they're, they're allowed to um, to take the, the scooter, but if not, um, they're un- they're, they won't be able to take the scooter out of the dock. Um, so the, the, the Line Vision uh, platform is, is yeah will probably have some additional safety features, um, and uh, they're looking to test it initially in Paris, um, and, and probably test it in around thirty cities around the world. Um, and yeah, I, I think Lime are, are, are yeah addressing the, the major safety concerns probably one by one, um, and started to use more advanced sensor technologies to to be able to. Um, um, improve the safety of these vehicles uh, for the riders and for the, the other users of sidewalks and, and roads. Yeah, the um, the sidewalk detection um, thing, you know, actually sounds like a, a really valuable thing because different cities actually have different rules about where you're allowed to use scooters. Some yeah. say you can't use the sidewalks. Others say you can't use bike lanes. Uh, yeah. So being able to detect where you're operating and, um, and make that adjustment, I think, would be would be really valuable uh, to uh, to Lime uh, to make sure that wherever wherever the vehicle wherever the scooter is being used, it's following whatever the local rules are. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah that's very true. Uh, different cities have different different regulations, and, and some and I think in Lime's announce, announcements that, that it, it seems they're trying to encourage people to move off the sidewalk onto cycle lanes specifically. Um, but as you said, some cities um, that that poses a big nuisance to to, to cyclists. So um, um, in in any case, I think riding on the sidewalk, um, in addition to being a nuisance and safety issue, I, I think that even where it's allowed, and um, that's that's still an issue. Um, and so perhaps just by slowing down the vehicle when they're on the sidewalks um, could could be. Um, could be helpful, but if they're not permitted to ride in the cycle lanes or on the roads, um, yeah, it, it reduces the uh, attractiveness of, of actually using them. Yeah, definitely. And then um, the, uh, the the drunk riding detection, I think, is also an interesting scenario um, because I, I can definitely see where the one of the potential downsides of that is, you know, somebody uh, coming out of a bar or a pub late at night, you know, wants to ride one of these home, um, they can't pass the test and they get frustrated and then they decide to vandalize the, the scooter and toss it into the street or something. Um, so they're going to have to uh, be careful about exactly how they go about implementing that. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think drunk driving is is has been a serious problem, or at least there's been a lot of uh, it attracts a lot of negative publicity to to micro mobility, um, and. I think in some cities, yeah, there, there were some, some some serious casualties, and so um, yeah, I, I think um, the operators are really looking to, to try and help to to, to reduce this. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, vandalism is <laughs> yeah potentially a, um, a response from uh, from drunk riders, but um, it's probably better that they vandalize the scooters rather rather than um, be permitted to to be riding drunk on the streets. <laughs> definitely, definitely. All right. Um, I've got uh, a couple stories to talk about. Um, we'll start off with a, uh, a battery-related story um, to uh, follow up on, on yours, Joe. Um, this morning, as we're recording this, uh, Ford made a big announcement um, about their use of lithium iron phosphate batteries. Um, one of the uh, big challenges with the, the EV segment uh, is for everybody to, all the manufacturers, to get enough batteries to support uh, full transition to electrification. Um, and right now, at least outside of China, the dominant battery chemistry uh, are so-called nickel-rich batteries that typically either um, <clears throat> nickel-manganese-cobalt, which is um, one of the more popular ones, or nickel-cobalt-aluminum, which is what Tesla uses, or nickel manganese cobalt aluminum. Um, and all of those rely on primarily on the nickel to provide most of the energy density. Uh, nickel is what gives it the energy density advantage. Nickel also has some issues, some challenges with stability. Um, and, uh, and some of the, the battery fires that we've seen are related to the, the nickel chemistry here. Um, and as well, um, the cost of nickel has skyrocketed this year. Uh, and has led to many manufacturers increasing the price of their EVs because for the first time in more than a decade, battery prices have actually been going up this year um, due to increases in both lithium and, and nickel costs. Uh, big part of this is driven by the war in Ukraine. Uh, since Russia supplies about 20%, currently supplies about 20% of the nickel used for EV batteries. Um, last year, uh, Ford talked about uh, starting to adopt lithium iron phosphate chemistries for some of their upcoming EVs, um, particularly for those for commercial applications. Um, and uh, today they made a big announcement uh, that they've struck a deal with uh, CATL, a uh, Chinese battery manufacturer. They're actually the largest battery EV battery manufacturer in the world. Uh, and uh, CATL makes both nickel and lithium iron phosphate or LFP batteries. Um, and Ford will start using uh, uh, CATL's uh, batteries next year in 2023, uh, starting with the standard range version of the Mustang Mach-E. Uh, and then uh, in early 24, they're going to add it to the Ford F-150 Lightning um, for the standard range version. And the reason why they're starting with the standard range version um, LFP batteries have several advantages over nickel batteries. They are much cheaper. The iron and phosphorus are very widely available at almost everywhere in the world, and they're much less expensive than the nickel, manganese, and cobalt used in the other batteries. Um, they are much more stable. Uh, it's almost impossible to have a battery fire with uh, an LFP battery. 
they are they have much better cycle life. Uh, nickel batteries typically uh, will last somewhere between 800 and 1,000 charge cycles uh, before you start getting some serious degradation. Uh, and that's, that's generally good enough for at least 10 or more years of use. Um, but LFP batteries can last thousands of charge cycles, and you know, CATL claims theirs will last a million miles. Uh, and so um, that mean, you know, but the, the downside is that um, nickel or LFP batteries have about 30% less energy density than a typical uh, nickel-rich chemistry. Uh, so that means you get less range. Um, CATL has developed a um, structural pack design with their uh, LFP cells, uh, prismatic LFP cells. And what that does is it eliminates the modular structure that's in most EV batteries today, um, which the, the modules, the module casings, actually take up a significant volume of the battery pack, which means you can't have as much active cell material in there. The typical nickel a typical modular battery pack has about uh, 35% fill ratio of active cell material, active cathode material in the, in the, uh, the volume of the pack um, with uh, a, a cell to pack or structural pack design. You can get, raise that up to about 75%. So that means within the same volume of pack, you can have a lot more active material to store. You can double, literally double the, um, the amount of energy stored within the same pack volume. Uh, so uh, Tesla is already using these CATL battery packs for their, uh, they started using them in 2020 in their Chinese-made Model 3 and Model Y for the standard range models. And starting last fall, fall of 2021, they started using them for the standard range models in North America as well for the vehicles built in, uh, in Fremont. Um, and they're able to match the, uh, the, or actually exceed the range that they got from the previous standard range battery pack in those vehicles uh, using, uh, using LFP cells uh, at a much lower cost. It's about 30 to 30% lower cost, at least typically, uh, for LFP versus nickel. Uh, so this is, uh, is going to be an important uh, shift for Ford to try to achieve profitability uh, but also to make more uh, EVs available because they're, they're going to be significantly ramping up their EV production uh, over the next couple of years. Uh, by the end of 2023, they want to have uh, 600,000 annual run rate for EVs. And by 2026, they want that to be over 2 million. So they're going to need a lot more batteries. So they're, they're saying now that they, they've lined up enough battery capacity to meet their 600,000 run rate um, already for next year. Uh, and by 2026, right now they've they've uh, arranged supplies for about 75 or about 70 percent of their their battery needs for that two million run rate. So they've still got a ways to go. Um, <clears throat> part of the announcement today is that they're also um, uh, do, doing several deals with uh, raw material suppliers for nickel, for lithium, uh, and for other cathode materials. Uh, so they're taking a more active role in that. And uh, the initial LFP batteries are coming from uh, CATL's plants in China, but um, by 2026, they will, they'll be adding a 40 gigawatt hour LFP battery facility, manufacturing facility somewhere in North America as well. So they're, they're definitely planning to stick with LFP for a while for at least some applications. Um, the 
uh, well, first of all, any any comments or questions on that? My one question would be, is there any potential tariffs or are tariffs already in place uh, that might affect that deal with the Chinese manufacturer? Um, I believe there are some tariffs on Chinese batteries. And so that will that will offset some of the cost advantages of the LFP cells in the near term while they're still sourcing them from China. Uh, longer term, you know, they do plan to transition that to North American production. So that that problem will go away. Uh, but the other challenge, of course, is uh, even with those tariffs, the cost of the nickel batteries has gone up significantly this year because of the increases in nickel and lithium prices. Uh, so it'll still be cheaper for them than using, even with the tariffs, it'll still be cheaper than using the, um, the nickel batteries for at least for those standard range models. Uh, and um, then uh, over, over time, as I said, they'll, they'll localize that production and, and that problem will go away. You're muted, Saji. Sorry. Um, in terms of the um, regards to the um, LFP batteries, do you, do you think that um, the uh, the environmental impact of, of making them of, of the extraction of the, of the more materials is is better than compared with um, um, nickel containing batteries? Um, yeah, it's generally, especially the uh, the processing of the iron and phosphorus. Uh, there's less environmental impact from that. Uh, the mining. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, the fact that the materials are more readily available in more regions of the world uh, reduces the logistics costs of shipping uh, those materials around the world. So if, the more you can localize the, the production of the raw materials, uh, the, the, the more you offset any of the environmental impacts of battery production. Um, you know, if you have to ship, uh, you know, nickel from Russia to China and then to the U.S., uh, you know, there's a lot of both cost and emissions associated with just, just with the transportation. Same thing goes with lithium from South America or Australia going to China. Um, that Those both have significant environmental impacts. So if you can consolidate that in whatever region where the vehicles are being built and used, uh, that significantly reduces your overall uh, environmental footprint. Hmm. Yeah, thanks. No, no, I think also that's also another really good benefit, the, the fact that um, you don't have to be relying on a very limited number of regions for, for the production of the raw materials. I, I think in, this, yeah, in these times, we've realized the, the, the benefits of that. Yeah, that's been one of the big lessons of the last uh, couple of years is over the last you know, two, 20, 30 years, we've uh, significantly consolidated uh, a lot of manufacturing in relatively few locations around the world uh, and are shipping things around the world. And that's just not sustainable. It, it, it makes the system, too, the supply chains too brittle, uh, you know, whether it's a pandemic or natural disasters like earthquakes, fires, floods, um, or geopolitical trade issues. Uh, Having having anything consolidated in too few locations is is problematic. So it's it's good to diversify your sourcing of some of those materials. Yeah. All right. Um, before we wrap up, got one more story for the week, um, and that is the announcement uh, earlier this week by Chevrolet of the Blazer EV, 
Um, they had previously announced, they previously released uh, some renderings of this vehicle. Uh, this is one of their next, uh, one of the next uh, big high volume EVs coming from General Motors. Um, it's going to be going to production summer of 2023. Uh, it's a midsize two row uh, SUV crossover, um, similar in size to the current generation internal combustion blazer, but with completely new designs based on GM's Altium platform. And uh, they're doing some interesting things with this one. You know, there's going to, um, it very much overlaps um, in terms of specs. Uh, the Ford Mustang Mach-E and, and some other vehicles that are coming to market are also very similar in size, uh, slightly larger than the Tesla Model Y. Um, it'll, it'll have uh, the, on the, the extended range version, it'll have uh, a range of uh, 320 miles, they're estimating about 247, 250 uh, for the standard range version. Uh, and uh, pricing starting uh, about 45,000 for the base model. Um, an interesting detail is that with electrification, it's a lot because of the compact size of the drive units, it's actually quite easy to mix and match in different configurations, um, different combinations of motors and batteries uh, and so uh, this will be one of the first vehicles on the market that you'll be able to get as a front-wheel drive model or as a rear-wheel drive model or as an all-wheel drive model. So you'll be able to get it with a motor at the front axle, a motor at the rear axle, or a motor at both axles, uh, depending on, on which configuration, price point, and, and uh, performance level you want for the vehicle. Um, and uh, so as I said, this is coming about a year from now, uh, about 12 months from now, and I got a chance um last week to uh to see it uh in person uh before they did the reveal earlier this week uh it's quite quite an attractive vehicle it's uh, going to be uh an interesting uh new uh, an interesting um option from gm as part of their their upcoming ev lineup it won't be their, necessarily their highest volume uh electric uh, suv uh, that will probably be the uh the upcoming chevy equinox ev uh, which is going to launch in the fall of next year. They're going to re be revealing it, I think, in September of this year. Uh, and that's the one that's going to have a starting price of just $30,000 here in the U.S. Uh, we don't know any of the specs as far as range or anything for that $30,000 price point, but uh, it's, uh, that one will be a fascinating one to watch as well. Will, will the, um, the, bla the Blazer be um, uh, a global model, or is it for the, for the North American market? Uh, right now, for, for North America, um, GM doesn't currently uh, sell. Well, they sell some limited number of Corvettes and Cadillacs in Europe, but they largely pulled out of the European market several years ago when they sold off Opel and, um, and uh, Vauxhall to what was then PSA, now Stellantis. Um, there has been some speculation that GM may decide to re-enter the European market later this decade. Uh, and uh, as an EV only brand. Uh, and so we, we might see the Blazer arriving, more likely at least the Equinox. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Blazer would definitely be another good option for the European market, uh, sort of on the, uh, in the for, for a European vehicle, it's, it's on the larger size. Um, but, uh, you know, it's similar in size to something like a, a BMW X3, uh, if, you, if you're familiar with how big that is. So, about the same, roughly the same dimensions as that. Um, so it, it could it could arrive in Europe, um, but uh, we'll probably see it in China as well as North America.
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just, just looking at a, an image of it. It, it does look like a, a kind of car that I can imagine that them selling in Europe. Uh, I, I think, I think, as, as you said, um, yeah, Chevy, Chevy have a very limited presence here, and they, they, they yeah, they. they I, I think they have a, um, a partnership. Just Corvettes that they sell. I haven't seen any Corvettes. Um, I can't remember the name of the car, but it's a very small, very small hatchbacks uh, that they have, very low cost. And I think they're not even produced by GM. Is it or something else? Who I can't remember. Um, but the styling, or the, they used to sell it here as, as the um, Sonic um, Chevy mm-hmm. Sonic here in North America. It's it's built uh, by GM's Korean operations, which is formerly Daewoo. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that yeah, I think that's who it was. Um, but this one, yeah, it, it looks very attractive. I think, and, and the size of it looks very um, appropriate for, for European sit, uh, streets. So, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if um, they, they launch this in Europe or in, in other markets. Yep, definitely. All right. Uh, any final thoughts? All right, then uh, let's call it a day, and uh, we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. All right. Cheers, guys.